1: And he's way. little bit of a postseason themed episode here on The Call-Up. We're going to be talking about rookie performers so far in the playoffs and what our expectations are for them moving forward into next year because I think there's a little bit of the overzealous nature of, of fans when we see guys really perform in the postseason. So that says a lot about how they can kind of rise to the big moment, but it doesn't mean you should shift your expectations for 2024. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and hit on some of these big names because Jack, this has been a postseason that I think has just been littered with young talent. And it's always like that to a degree, but I felt like this year the young talent has really just taken over. Yeah. Particularly the rookie class,
2: right? Because typically it's young talent that's really showing up and showing out, but it's second and third year guys. You occasionally have a rookie that does it a lot of Jeremy Pena last year, but A lot of the intrigue comes from the 25, 26 year olds that are maybe getting their first or second taste of the postseason. Now it's truly all rookies, pretty much. Corbin Carroll is balling out. Evan Carter looks amazing. Josh Young has a bomb. Like there are so many guys that are performing that are truly rookies. Oh, by the way, Gunnar Henderson, who's going to probably win AL Rookie of the Year unanimously hit a ball to Mars yesterday. So just just fascinating to see, like, all these true rookies and guys that were on the top 100
1: list coming into the year ball out on a national and international stage. 100%. And, you know, some of the performances that have led into the postseason, you know, guys that kind of figured something out. We talked about Gabriel Moreno on the Just Baseball Show. Like, that's a guy who I think you can shift your expectations for 2024 in a positive way because of the way he closed out the regular season and then just the way he's performed on the postseason scale. But I also want to provide a little bit of context on the other side, because not to, to knock down guys that are performing in the playoffs. I just want to highlight you know, how I think it might look over 162 and whether any of these players have really changed since we talked about them, as you mentioned, on the top 100 list, which we will be updating, by the way. By the end of this week so look out for that as well as many of these guys have graduated but jack you have the list of names uh, a list of guys that are all playing some sort of role in the playoffs this year and we're just going to kind of highlight discuss and move on to the next one but it's a really fun group of guys of kind of different levels of prospect intrigue prior to their rookie season and i think different levels of contribution through these playoffs but all of which have played a part in their respective team success uh, so far this season, and, and especially in the playoffs as far,
2: yeah, so I left some guys on the cutting room floor. and the reason I, I did that is because there were some guys with minimal prospect intrigue that we could talk about, Like, hey, if you want to hear about Andrew Solfrank, unfortunately, I don't think this is your podcast or again Cano. I don't think this is your pod. Cano was an all-star, but he didn't have prospect intrigue at all coming into this year, he was a thirty year old rookie. Also left out guys that have been eliminated. Milwaukee was running out. Weimer, Freelich, they run out Terang too. They ran out Monasterio, still had rookie status. We're not talking about guys that were bounced in the wildcard series. It is active rookies that had some level of prospect intrigue coming into the year. And we'll start with Texas. Two guys, Evan Carter and Josh Young. Let's start with Evan Carter, who has been the talk of the postseason at this point in the American League. Evan Carter through one, two, three, four postseason games is five for 10 with three doubles, a homer, and he's walked six times. He reached base in 10 of his first 11 postseason appearances, played appearances to begin his career. Carter has a couple of diving catches on his book already, made a nice running catch in left center yesterday in Baltimore. Um, this guy is playing like. An all-star and an MVP candidate. Problem is when you, you know, expand that over 162 next year, that might not
1: necessarily be the case. This is really fun, though. It's it's really fun. And and it's a testament to how polished he is, both just in his approach to the game and his approach at the plate. And I think that's why the Rangers felt like, hey, we can we can bring this kid up. Maybe he just turned 21 years old and, and he can potentially help us. And he has helped them where I think people might be getting a little carried away is maybe shifting their focus to next year's. And he's probably going to be a rookie of the year front runner. And, you know, he should be one of the front runners going into next year because he's getting valuable experience. He's performing on a big stage and he's showing us some of the things that he has going for him. But, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how people kind of go into next year and what their expectations are for Carter. I think what's really helped Carter make the transition is one, you mentioned the athleticism in the outfield and things like that, being able to play all three outfield spots and being you know in left or right, mostly left. It, it, it's impressive how much ground he can cover out there. At the plate, guy doesn't expand the zone. Since he was called up, including the postseason, he's running a 13% chase rate. So that was what allowed him to get up and make some sort of contribution. He really shrinks the zone, looks for something he can pull. If it's borderline or on the outer half, doesn't expand the zone some ridiculously impressive takes and again once he finds that pitch that he can pull in the air it doesn't even have to be middle in. could be elevated away he will pull it in the air and hit it with authority so he's not straying from his approach and in this small sample that's going to work over 162 i have some questions as to whether that very pull happy approach will work i think he's pulling around 60 percent of the time at the big league level but that said we have a guy already that knows himself really well, that is going to be a good player for a very long time, is already flashing some of the power and the athleticism. But I don't think it's going to be as automatic and seamless in 2024, maybe, as as people are going to expect it to be because of how good he's been in the postseason. I think there might be some growing pains over 162 next year, but I'm enjoying every second of what we've seen so far.
2: For sure, and his three-week, two- or three-week cameo in the big leagues before the postseason was also really good, but it's such a small sample. And The thing about baseball is you do it across 162. You have 187 days where you're playing pretty much every single day. You get, what, four days off, five days off for the All-Star break, and that's your longest break that you have. Um, Carter, yeah, he's fascinating to me. Real quick follow-up. Did you know that the plate discipline was going to come out like this at any point? Because obviously we had that conversation about a Julianne and some other like Corbin Carroll. We had this conversation about Carroll, right? This guy was always going to walk with Carter. We knew they could, but I don't remember you saying this guy is going to go through stretches where like he's walking like a madman. I, I didn't
1: think this was happening. I, I don't think I saw it to this degree. I mean, definitely loved the approach. Definitely thought that he was always going to hedge any, any whiff, even though the ball has always been good with walks. He's consistently walked and has run chase rates in the low twenties in the minor leagues. But yeah. I never saw Edward Julien swing rates here. I mean, again, as, as a big leaguer, he's swinging around 33, 34% of the time, expanding around 13%. I never saw that one coming. Uh, that has been really, really impressive. Um, And, and I think, to be able to do that at the big league level says a lot about just his ability to recognize spin, to see pitches, to to feel the zone and know exactly where pitches are. I mean, I went back and watched some of the video over the last, you know, handful of of playoff plate appearances. Some of the takes are just insane. I mean, just it's amazing how he's able to just spin on a ball one or two balls off that it was a pitcher's pitch. So again, that always is going to elevate the floor. And I think Evan Carter through this performance has definitely elevated the floor, but I think what ends up happening sometimes with these kind of guys is then people in turn elevate the ceiling. Think about what we talked about with Jeremy Pena and who who he could be. I always said really good glove. He's going to run into some homers and you know, you're going to have to take the inconsistent approach you know, and, and deal with it. And, you know, did I think he would be a little bit better this year? Absolutely. But did I think he was going to be a perennial all-star? No. And I think when he won world series MVP, that's kind of what we saw. What is Jeremy Pena though, as a, as a person and player, he's somebody that's not phased by the big moment he's built for it. And that's something that does matter. And that's baked into this here. But if we're talking about 162 performers, performers, uh, I'm interested to see what it looks like for Carter. Cause I think it might take him a couple of years to reach that ceiling. I think he's yeah. going to find it. I think there could be that like Yellich type of trajectory. I don't think he's quite as freaky as Yellich, but that kind of trajectory. I just don't think it all happens next year, um, which is the one thing I just wanted to highlight. He's been one of my favorite prospects in the game for a long time. But the pull happy approach leaves him exposed against lefties. I mean, he slugged 263 against lefties if you combine the minor leagues and the big leagues this year. And that's that out and around pull happy approach that you know makes it hard left on left. There's little things like that that he's gonna to have to figure out next year. And I think he will. And I think he's gonna make a bunch of all-star games. Like I think he makes a handful of all-star appearances, but I think it's gonna be a little bit more of a slower uh development to become the all-star. I think he's proven that he can be the, you know, above average regular right away. And I think he'll be that, but there will be some growing pains next year, in my opinion.
2: Do you think Josh Young starts at third base for the American League All-Star team again? (laughs) Josh Young uh, has been amazing. This postseason, five extra base hits in four games. He has six hits, and he's driven in three. Young is a power presence in the middle of the best lineup in baseball right now. Um, I mean, they were the best lineup in the American League all year long. Of course, they weren't as good as Atlanta, but wouldn't you know, Atlanta just got shut out by Ranger Suarez and Matt Strom and the rest of the gang in Philly um Josh Young does look like a middle of the order masher he was an all-star this year is this a sign of more things to come do you think that Josh Young can be one of the better third basemen in the American League
1: yeah yeah I've seen enough at this point I mean this guy's come back from two injuries <clears throat> that really stifle momentum here for hitters you have a lead labrum and you've got a thump and both times shakes off the rust and picks up where he left off. But it, it, one thing that really stands out to me, Jack, is the defense. I don't know if you've watched the last few games. I mean, the range, uh, the ability to just cover ground. Comfortable. Yeah, he's making throws on the run. Uh, he looks like an above average defender. And, and that's something that I always had as a future grade. I was always hoping would would translate. And it has. And that's a big part of it as well. If he doesn't get hurt this year, he's a three-win player. The, the one... I guess hiccup for him is he's a very aggressive hitter. And that's the one thing that I could see kind of doing him in at points. He's you know chased well over 30%. Most of his minor league career chased over 30% this year, but he's elevating the ball as much as ever. I mean, it's sub 40% ground ball rate. Uh, he's able to make above average contact in terms of just the contact rates. The only reason why the, the strikeout rate is hovering around 30% is because he's aggressive. I think that's something that'll continue to get better, but hits the ball hard, hits it in the air, plays good defense, and just seems to be consistent and just steady. There's the, you know, again, I I don't think he's going to be as good, but there's the shades of like Austin Riley type of reliability there that, you know, makes, makes it fun for me. I think like an Austin Riley light is a similar, you know, profile here. I think he's a better, probably better defender, not as good of, of a ceiling or high of a ceiling offensively, but man, dude, I'll take Austin Riley light at third base any day of the week i think everybody should be looking for austin riley especially offensively
2: he's going to elevate the ball and he's going to hit it ridiculously hard and i i love that from a bigger bodied third baseman i think that any you know like heftier third baseman growing up is probably looking at austin riley saying i want to be that yeah and if josh young can be anywhere
1: close to that they're in a really good spot moving okay. forward. That's what I, I uh, think Gunner's like, played
2: some third. Yeah.
1: Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I think it's like this Like he's oh. could be 65, 70% Austin Riley. Like that's really damn good. Yeah. That's a top 10 third baseman in baseball
2: because Riley is two or three. Yeah. Um, Gunner Henderson has played in third. He's going to play short. It seems moving forward, Gunner in his first two postseason games is three for eight with the nuke of all nukes that somehow made its way to Zach Hample, which pissed us off. We mentioned that on the Just Baseball show, but whatever. Um, Gunner, man, like he looks really comfortable here. And I don't know, lineup construction for Baltimore is a little weird right now, but it's kind of been weird all year long. You've got Gunner hitting right in front of Aaron Hicks, but he's the cleanup man. It's just kind of bizarre where they have him. I don't know if this is the picture perfect situation for Gunnar Henderson, but the fact that he will run away with American League Rookie of the Year and looks this comfortable in the postseason, I think is a testament to
1: who this guy is, and this is just the very start of of who he can become. I mean, seeing the left on left nuke too, because this is that was been a little bit of an Achilles heel for him has been the the left on left situation. I, I that was that home run really like hit home of like, this guy's going to be a superstar, but it, you you have a whole season to work with here. So it, it's, it's one of those situations where it's a little bit different. We got a lot of body of work here and, you know, snippet of last year to feel very good about Gunnar Henderson being a superstar for the foreseeable future. I, I agree. I want to see him playing shortstop every day. And, and I think he will ultimately be doing that next year. And he's probably going to accumulate ridiculous war numbers because of that, but it's just been really fun to watch him perform on the big stage. I know the Orioles have not played the way that, you know, we were hoping they would. And uh, there's been some swing and miss there for Gunner. Sure. He's had to kind of line up against a lot of lefties so far, but the way he's been able to hold his own while lining up against some Southpaws and again, being in this big, big spot, you can't really poke a hole in, in Gunner's game right now, other than the left on left stuff. And he just hit a nuke on the biggest stage left on left. So I, I feel as good as I've ever felt about Gunnar Henderson. There, there's not much else to say about him at this point other than, you know, I think he's a a dark horse MVP candidate next year. Damn. As early as next year? I think he could be. If he's playing shortstop, I think so. I think it's very possible. And that lineup with what he's shown this year wouldn't surprise me at all. Especially with Otani in the National League when he signs that deal with the Rockies.
2: <laughs> I that hope That opens so. up space for Gunnar. That'd be great. Otani and Tovar, what do you make of Jordan Westberg? Back-to-back lefties have started against Baltimore, so Westberg has been in the lineup. He's been an early yank. He's one for five of the double so far. If Gunner is playing shortstop every day, is Westberg the second baseman moving forward for Baltimore? Is he in the thoughts of Michael Elias and Brandon Hyde moving forward? He feels extraneous at points this postseason
1: it's interesting. It's a, his, his offensive game is definitely more developed and more equipped to help them now than a Joey Ortiz. And that's why he's there. Uh, and he's had stretches where he looks really, really solid. And I've always loved him as a prospect as a top 100 guy, but I, I do feel like when you look around and you see Kobe Mayo, who's I think was one of the best performers in the entire minor leagues this year, who we'll be talking about later yeah. this week. And you know just some of the other pieces that they have in the fold, even a Heston Kerstad in terms of offensive ceiling, he does feel a little bit extraneous. That said, I mean, it says a lot about, you know, how much confidence the Orioles have in him that he's playing in these spots. And I thought he's had some good at bats. I, I don't think the results have totally been there, but just watching these games, I thought he's looked very comfortable. He spoiled a lot of tough pitches. He's you know, put some good swings on balls. He's a really solid player. But it's interesting. I mean, the conversation that we've been having all year long is, you know, who fits in better long term, Westberg, Ortiz. You know, if they didn't have a shortstop, you probably make the case for Ortiz. They don't need a shortstop. They need somebody that can just contribute offensively. And you know, Westberg's doing that a little bit better at the big league level. I'm really fascinated to see how they handle things this offseason, because the one thing that's been a little bit concerning for me is that Westberg's been just kind of blown up by fastballs. I mean, over the last 40 games, hitting a buck 80 uh, against fastballs, that was not an issue for him earlier in the year. But even if you extrapolate over the, his last 60 games, just big league fastballs with carry just seem to be affecting him. 6.44 OPS against those. So, I wonder if they look at some of the underlying metrics, feel like Westbrook's ceiling is somewhat capped. He's more of that, you know, versatile infielder that you you love to have on your team. But if you're going to make a trade at a 40 man crunch. I do wonder if Westberg's one of those guys that could be the odd man out. That said, I think he's looked really solid this postseason overall. Yeah,
2: if you were to, and I feel like we play this game consistently, but especially with Jackson Holiday at AAA now, I want to revisit the game. You've got Gunner at short moving forward. I think Kobe Mayo is the third baseman of the future, maybe, or he's at first base, but Castle has been one of the better hitters against left-handed pitching in all of baseball. It seems like he's figuring it out as he gets healthy against right-handed pitching. He can still factor in moving forward. Um, Holiday will probably play second base. I guess he's the future of the second base position. So, Westberg, Ortiz, Norby. You hold on to one. You ship two. Which two are you shipping for Dylan Cease?
1: <laughs> it's crazy, man. Because I, I feel like Norby bat wise might be the most intriguing. So, I mean, the guy's just a machine offensively. And I think he's just a little bit higher ceiling in terms of like being able to hit for average, can hit for similar amounts of power. And Glasberg's EVs are a little bit better. But no, I mean, Norby guy had 169 hits this year. I like that is yeah. insane. He's just a hit machine. Um, dude, nobody wants to talk about hits anymore. Come on. I understand that. Okay. 22 pumps. How does that sound, buddy? 40 doubles, four triples. <laughs> like Thanks, it's, funny. It's crazy <laughs> buddy. Yeah. I just buddied you on the big stage here. Sorry about that. I'll, we'll work that out later. Well, I'm I'm sorry. That was too far. Um, but no, it's like, I, I it's unbelievable. I, you you could highlight the hits. You can highlight the extra base hits. He's been a machine. I'm kind of find myself more fascinated by Norby's offensive upside. Again, if they didn't have short, two shortstops who are better than Ortiz, I'd say, Oh, I love the defense that Ortiz brings to the table and go from there. But is it crazy that I'd lean Norby at this point? I mean, after the slow-ish start that he shook off, I mean, he was one of the best hitters in the minor leagues, 940 OPS over his final 65 games. And if I'm looking at those profiles, you just want the best bat. I think Norby may wind up being the best bat. So I'm packaging probably Ortiz and Westberg or or you know one of those guys, and then you have another one waiting in the wings, but it's fascinating. I, the one thing I do think we could see with Norby is he plays more left field. And he seems to be more comfortable out there than, than Westberg and Ortiz, you know, his value comes from shortstop. So I'm going to keep Norby probably because I think he can play left field for them next year. And that's what he did down the stretch. That's what he did when they won the championship, where he went three for three, by the way, with a Homer and two walks while playing left field and batting second. I think Norby fits in. Yeah. They have a lot of corner
2: outfield options, which is the only reason why I may push back a little bit. And I also ask you to kind of look internally and say, how confident are you that Jackson Holiday can play a big league shortstop next year? I want two shortstops. I know Mateo can still be around, but I know Gunnar can play short. I want another guy on my big league roster that can play shortstop as well. Right. Norby can't. No. Right? No. And so Westbrook I'm, can I'm, if you really needed it. Exactly. And Ortiz can play a great one. Right. I think Ortiz is surely one of the odd men out. But man, if you can package Ortiz, either Westberg or Norby, and a Kyle Stowers who's clearly phased out of their plans, yeah. you can get a top twenty pitcher in baseball on the yeah. trade market for that trio. Yeah. So I, now's the time to do it. But this is an off season conversation. Like we we kind of got sidetracked there. Westberg moving forward looks like a big leaguer. Is it with the Baltimore Orioles? I think the answer is TBD. TBD. Um, Royce Lewis looks like a perennial all-star Royce is amazing we're going to talk three Minnesota Twins and the first one being Lewis so far Royce Lewis in four games is four for 15 but three of his four hits have left the yard he's got four driven in he's walked three times he's punched out five times in four games he's rocking a 1256 OPS he has arrived and somehow he's doing this on one hamstring and then a pair of rubber bands and in the other one it's amazing what this guy is doing. And I, much like his teammate and Byron Buxton, we just, we're hoping that we see health. We're hoping that we see a full 162, because I think everybody's kind of gotten a glimpse of what could be with
1: Royce Lewis. I mean, including the postseason, the last 40 games for this guy, 302, 397, 658 slash line. It's a 1054 OPS, 16 home runs. In 40 games, and what's so remarkable to me is you mentioned Buxton, and and something similar that that Buxton Buxton whiffs more. But what's amazing with Buxton is he hits the ball really hard, hits it in the air. And most guys that have consistently elite EVs, it's a lot of ground balls mixed in there. You know, again, you have the Jordans of the world and the the, the generational power guys that hit in the air. Those guys are putting up 40 45 home runs. When you have a guy that's running a ground ball rate in the 30 percent range, 35 percent range. And then hitting the ball in terms of exit velocities, a 90th percentile around 107, 108. I mean, that's 35, 40 home run potential. I'm not saying he's going to do that because a big part of his game is finding the gaps, being a good runner, hitting line drives. But if this guy sold out for power the way that Byron Buxton kind of did as he continued to get, you know, banged up and hurt, I think he could be a three true outcome, hit it 40 times out of the yard. But that's not who he is. That's not what makes him so good. It's just amazing. You're seeing some one offs or, not even one offs. I've seen him hit 114, 115 a handful of times. So we're talking about plus plus power. We're talking about above average contact rates. He runs pretty low chase rates. I mean, this guy has as much offensive upside as really any rookie in the game. And he's still just 24 years old. He'll be 24 at the start of next season. So it feels like he's like one of those 27 year old rookies that you're like, oh, he's finally here and finally healthy. He's young still. And this is a really, 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 really special talent. I'm very interested to see how they handle him because I think it's gotten to the point where, yes, I do want to see the wheels. I do want to see him go gap to gap. I do think that there's defensive value there, but similar to how they've handled Buxton, and Buxton's a way more extreme example because you know he really just can't get out of his own way health-wise. I do have to wonder how much more they prioritize the bat here because in terms of the, the production we've seen recently and the underlying data, this guy has... Superstar offensive potential, even if he's just DHing. So it's it's an interesting balance here because now they got two guys like that. But again, Lewis is younger, not as much of an injury history. It's it's a it's a rough one, but it's not as bad. And there's still some reason to hope. But you know, where do you put him? Maybe second base makes a little bit more sense. You know, they got some things to work out there, but I'm I'm excited to see how they handle him. So
2: that that was going to be my follow up there. You say you know they they could really enjoy the defensive potential. I ask you where, because Correa is obviously playing an elite shortstop Julienne, you can move over to first base, but then yes. that displaces Kirilov. Do you shove Kirilov in a corner again? Like it, it feels like Lewis is kind of adding to this DH log jam. And the last place you want to log jam is designated hitter. And, and, and that's what Minnesota has got going on right now. Um it would be great if he could play a high-level second base. Do you think third base could be in the cards? That's his home. I it think. feels like
1: the the Miranda. It feels like the Miranda ship has sailed a little bit. Yeah, between the year that he had and the injury, I, he's a change of scenery candidate for me, Miranda. Um, I think he can still be great. I mean, the year that he had was one of the best minor league seasons we've seen, and great. I don't think that was a fluke. I think he's been hurt, and I think you know his confidence was beat up. Royce Lewis at the hot corner probably makes more sense as I'm um, as you were about to say that I was thinking about it, I'm like wait you know he, the way he can move his arm like that totally I, I'm with you I think he could play honestly a plus third base and a really really good one there he's made some plays he showed us flashes of that this year you got him at third and you got Correa at short that is an elite left side of the infield defensively I know Correa was banged up this year I'm not going to put much stock in the defensive metrics and then you know second base you can kind of plug and play some days you can you know, put Julianne at first uh, when, and that's where you should be rotating the DH role. Like you mentioned, you don't want that log jam You rotate the DH role, but to answer your question, I love Royce Lewis at third. And I think that's where the twins end up placing him uh, with, you know, some scheduled off days in the DH spot.
2: And, and I think if you had to hand in a lineup and say, this is it for 162, If you can have Lewis at third Correa at short Julianne at second and Kirilov at first, I'm a very happy camper personally. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. This team and then agent. This team's not
2: going nowhere. Anywhere anytime soon. Let's shift to Julianne here. Cause Julian, it's kind of more of the same four games. He's doing pretty much what he did at the big league level for the regular season. Edouard Julian, 13 plate appearances. He's three for 11, but he's walked twice. He's got a 385 OBP. Um, he's got a double a ribby, uh, and he's punched out four times in 13 plate appearances. I'm really impressed by Julian not striking out a billion times during the regular season. The The whiff was there, obviously. I thought it was going to be worse, to yeah. be frank. But Julian, man, he was, I, I think he did a great job introducing himself to baseball fans in the regular season. And now they're seeing a guy that is at the top of that lineup that is going to see so many pitches. And he is exactly what I want from a leadoff hitter. I want eight pitch at bats to open games, and that's who Julian is. And sometimes those ended a double. A lot of times those ended a walk. If they ended a strikeout, okay, not best case scenario, but you still saw eight pitches, and he saw the kitchen sink. Yeah. everybody's calling him Eddie Julian now, or Edward Julian. Um, he's from Quebec City. What do you want to do, Eddie Julian, or do you want to do Edward Julian? It's easy enough.
1: Edouard Julien.
2: That's who he is. Let's do it, man. I it's brutal. Like the Americanization of Edouard Julien. Like that's not tough. Uyanglale, like we learned that let's, yeah. let's just
1: commit to it's, Edouard Julien. It's really not that hard. Um, there's just an O mixed in there, which is a little French, but that that's about it. Right. Like that's yeah, but just like E N on the back of his last name, Julien. It's not Julien. It's Julien. Julien. Yeah. It's so I thought, the way you laid it out was perfect. And I thought game one against the Astros kind of epitomized what you can get from him, which is what you would take from a major league baseball player pretty much every single day of the week. Uh, Of course it's slightly elevated K rate if you extrapolate it, but one for four with a double and a walk. I will take that every single day of the week. Yes. Again, if you extrapolate that, that's a 40% K rate, but again, you're going to mix in some, you know, one for fours with, with no K's and you'll mix in, you know, some two for fives or whatever it is. And you'll settle on a K rate in the 30% range. But the point being, it's not traditional. I know that the old heads might not love it, but I think Julian's a smart hitter here that realized I'm probably not going to hit enough back to ball wise to be this, you know, this guy that's going to hit for average and, and consistently be able to get a swing off and make contact. It's hard, but he's like, I got power. I see the ball really well. I'm going to leverage those two things. And that's it's exactly what he's done. Another guy that's just hitting it in the air and walking. And, you know, again, yeah, he's going to strike out naturally by going deep into counts, but hedges that really well. What stood out to me the most and what we're seeing more in this postseason is I think he's starting to cut down on that ground ball rate. That's the big thing. Like there was spurts where he was not hitting the ball in the air enough. And now that he's starting to cut down on that, it's been really fun to see. But my thing in the postseason lens of this is, You could see a guy that has that approach. Same thing with Evan Carter, big stage. I want to do a little bit more. I want to start getting some swings in. I want to make something happen as a leadoff guy, but no, they put him in a position where he can be who he is, which is like you said, see more pitches doesn't stray from the approach at all. Even if he struck out twice, doesn't stray. And I think that's what says a lot about him to me. I, I think this is going to be what you can get from Julian kind of moving forward consistently. And that's a really good baseball player. I
2: mean this in a nice way. It looks like he doesn't think sometimes offensively. Uh, It it looks like he doesn't really comprehend the magnitude of the moment. It's, oh, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to see a bunch of pitches. Dude, you're leading off game one of the ALDS in Houston against the reigning World Series champ. Like, get nervous for a minute, please. But, like, it, it just seems like he's... He's saying, you know, like, it's kind of Saturday. Like, yeah. I played a billion Saturdays this year, so it's just Saturday again, um, which I love about Julianne, and it, it's pretty funny. Matt Wallner is a guy that has gotten some situational plate appearances. He's 0 for 6 so far. He's punched out three times. Walner is a fascinating piece for Minnesota moving forward because I would not bank on him to be an everyday fixture in their lineup. I don't even know if I would bank on him to be a platoon fixture. I think that you have a lot of guys with pop and whiff in that lineup that you don't need the one that might be the poppiest and the whiffiest.
1: Yeah, it's funny because uh, on another team, I I actually think Warner's a, a good fit for certain teams. I, I've been really impressed overall. I, I was with you. I was somewhat out in terms of just, is he ever going to hit enough? And this guy's cut the chase down. I'm sure just hanging out with Edouard Julian has helped. He's probably like, why well, yeah. well, hit the ball harder than that guy? Stop and swinging, bro. <laughs> I'm, yeah, just don't swing as much, man. And he's cut it down. To your point, though, on this team, he does feel like the odd man out. And, But I did want to give kind of the flip side of this conversation 0 for 6 3 Ks has been bad in the postseason, but I actually think he's found his way into being a platoon guy at the highest level. I, I do because he's miserable against lefties. Just, just don't hit him against lefties. But against righties, since he got called up at the big league level, I mean, he has been really, really solid. And, and if you even extrapolate over like the last 30 games, 273, 423, 494 slash line, that's including, um, you know, that the the big league games or excuse me, the playoff game so far, his exit velocities are stupid. Like they are ridiculous. They are up there with some of the best in, in, in the sport. Uh, and that's what stands out to me. So it's like if you could just make below average contact and hit it in the air, you're in business. Last 75 games for him, 111 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity, only a 29% ground ball rate. Those two things alone. I'm like, okay, you're going to get your homers. And the other thing cuts the chase rate down to 25% zone contact is 70%. That'll play. That's fine. Um, So I think this guy's kind of found himself. And, and, and that, that's, that's what stands out to me is I think this guy's kind of just figured out what's going to work for him. Is that valuable on the Minnesota twins? Maybe not. Maybe he's the odd man out. Maybe he gets moved. But I think he's found himself as some sort of platoon type uh, that you're just going to have to pallet the good with the bad uh, and 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 deal with it. But I think he can hit righties.
2: I think he can command a good reliever too. And Minnesota's got good relievers. They have a, who I think is the best reliever in baseball. And Duran, Griffin Jacks looks great. Thilbar looks great at times. But they could always add a good reliever. And I think Walner is the return for a good reliever this offseason. So... Um, I think that would be a great thing. And hey, if he's a platoon bat sitting on your bench, that's not a bad thing at all. No, Um, National League now, I've got four guys, no, three guys in the National League that I want to talk about, and then we'll get to the pitchers. Johan Rojas with the Phillies is one for 10 with five Ks. He's not hitting, but we know he's going to be in the eighth spot, and we know that he's going to make some tremendous plays defensively. Has the ship sailed on... I don't know, every day, like, I don't, I don't even think we were expecting him to be a, a top of the order guy. Um, I, I close your eyes and tell me who you think Johan Rojas is moving forward. Is he a nine hitting center fielder for a really good team?
1: Yes. I see like okay, a, a different profile, but in a different way, like a Jose Siri type, right? Jose Siri. It's, High amount of Ks, home runs with Rojas. I was gonna say like Miles yeah, Straw. Yeah, Miles Straw would probably be a better, a better comp, but I think he's better than Straw. Like that, that's the oh. thing. So I I think he's like an elevated Miles Straw, which cool in this postseason, you're kind of seeing there's just ways that he's able to still impact the game. You mentioned the defense. Yeah, I'd love to see him not go 0 for seven with four punch outs over the last two games, but he's gonna go get them. He's a threat on the bases. I think something you know, along the lines of a fourth outfielder or the nine-hitting center fielder that plays Elite D, like that's what he is. And honestly, I think that that's exactly what the Phillies needed on this team right now. Because you have Marsh, but I think they needed a little bit more defense and speed, and, and, and he gives them that.
2: 100%. Um, James Altman is a guy that looked really nervous in his postseason debut. And Altman was over for 2. Um, he... I don't want to say botched because it was a double for Cattell Marte but that's a play that Altman made I think 10 times out of 10 during the regular season when it hit off the heel of his glove and he got you know a late jump to it and then he he leaped at the last moment he looked so uncomfortable yeah um I I hope he's not phased by the big moment but I, we had a whole year to work with. I love who Altman is moving forward. you have to ride the roller coaster. He's yeah. going to put together stretches where he's an MVP candidate, but that's not going to be over a whole year. That's going to be over three weeks. And yeah. then there are three weeks where it's like, is he an Oklahoma City Dodger yet? But then yeah. that's when he snaps right back into his MVP candidacy.
1: It's And then you settle somewhere around an 820 OPS, which is really good. But yeah, you know, it. I feel like this is one of those instances, no, no matter how bad James Altman is in the postseason, to your point, I think we've seen enough that – you can feel pretty good about who he is and and what player he's, he's become and and that he's a big piece for the Dodgers moving forward. But I did see the same thing. He looks, the game looked quick for him. Uh, It didn't look like the same James Altman that was going to get it uh, in the outfield. And that, you know, it looked a little bit more comfortable at the plate. This is a dude though, that I am again, the other side of the coin here, no matter how bad the postseason goes, I'm looking at him next year still as a 780 to 820 OPS guy. And doing something similar to what he did this year, I don't think much better. I don't think much worse. And he's no a matter how the first season goes,
2: yeah, he's a war getter. He was what 800 OPS. Was he a four and a half win player this year? No way. Was he really? I think so. He was like big time, big time. James Altman, because he played such a good center field, James Altman was a 118 WRC plus and a 4.4 F4 this wow. year. 151. That's,
1: that's freaking fantastic.
2: He's a four and a half win player man but he's gonna look like a negative four and a half win player I'm telling you at points for like two week stretches but then he looks like an 11 win player at points too
1: yeah and, and you know you gotta you gotta also take into account the the situations where we're talking about a Gunnar Henderson who's you know, been a top prospect in baseball who's it was drafted early you know, we're talking about a Corbin Carroll early first round pick some of these guys have kind of been in the spotlight for a while uh Outman's a 26 year old rookie. Who is getting his first taste of the postseason? Sometimes it just feels a little bit different for those guys, and I think he'll be fine long term. But you know, it's just one game so far too. He could end up going nuts the rest of the way. But I'm just saying, if he does sure. struggle, it's a it's a different case here for James Altman, who you know already has exceeded any reasonable expectation. I don't even know if his family would have believed that the year would that his year would have went this the way it has going into the season. And you know that's a testament no. to his talent and figuring things out this year. Hey, what do you think of this Corbin Carroll cat in
2: Arizona? He's all right, and yeah, he's pretty good. He's fine. Um, three games so far in the postseason. He's six for twelve with a double, two homers, four driven in, walked twice, punched out once in fourteen plate appearances, sporting a sixteen fifty four OPS. When's his first MVP next year? Do we give it to him early?
1: Depends which which we Otani go. Oh, actually, Otani won't get it next year because he can't pitch. So he's got to really, really hit. But he's going to hit seventy homers with the
2: Rockies <laughs> next year. So like
1: you have to factor that in. No, to <laughs> to to be honest, man, I. It's amazing when a rookie is your best player. It's just on a playoff team, and yeah. I, I mean he's their best player. I know tell Marte has played out of his mind. Even on the pitching side, Zach Allen's been great. Corbin Carroll is their best player, and. It's amazing how many different ways you can impact the game. That goes back to when we talked about him as the number one prospect in baseball and, and why he was that the power we're seeing it, the speed. We've been seeing it, the defense been seeing it and talk about a dude that is just totally unfazed by the big stage. Where is this team without Corbin Carroll? I have no idea. Six hits in three games, a couple nukes, as you mentioned, and they were like not cheapies either. They were absolute moon tanks. Um, he He's going to win an MVP soon. I'll tell you that. And it's been so fun to watch this guy play. He is, he is a special, special, special player. Yeah.
2: All right. Five pitchers, two American League, same team, three National League. Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall. One looked really – I used the word timid on the Just Baseball Show, and I'll stand by that word choice. I thought Grayson looked – like his shoulders were tense the entire time. And it's impossible to throw a hundred miles an hour when your shoulders are tense. So they were not literally tense, but we, we talked about it, that lollipop throw over to first base when Mitch Garver beat it out for an infield single that I think that told everybody all you needed to know about how Grayson Rodriguez felt. Yeah. G rod looked amazing after he came back from Norfolk, he really did not look good in his postseason debut do you take anything from this, or are you going into next year
1: saying this guy is the opening day? Starter for Baltimore, let's move. I mean, Bradish might end up still being that guy because Bradish has been awesome. But I the, the, the actual answer is I don't take much from it at all. I think it's a good thing in, in the long term. I'm sure that we're gonna hear conversations. I hope we have one with him. Um, because you know how long I've I've adored his ability to pitch, but you know. I'm sure we'll have conversations or hear them in two, three years where he's going to pinpoint that start and talk about how that was a learning experience for him one way or another. You know, it's we talked about on the Just Baseball show. He was put in a position that no rookie should really be put in. Hey, we're down one zero and we need you to shove against one of the best offenses in Major League Baseball. What I did take from this outing, though, was. He definitely is reliant on the fastball and it worked for him in the regular season. But when you have a team that is very prepared for you, very locked in on what you're going to do and has seen you throwing 60% fastballs down the stretch of the season. And that was the way you had success. You better be pinpoint with that fastball. And he threw fastballs 75% of the time, 44 of his 59 pitches were four seam fastballs, only 57% landed for a strike. So you talk about the tension. I think that was part of it. You talk about falling behind, then he can't go to that slider, which is, you know, actually has been one of his most effective pitches this year. We only saw him throw four breaking balls in that outing, 11 change ups. He threw some fantastic change ups. And I do think it's funny to your point that the change up was great. Eight of the 11 that he threw were for strikes and he got a bunch of whiffs on it. Every whiff it he got was so on the change-up. good.
2: It looked amazing. That's a yeah. field
1: pitch. That's a pitch that he will not allow himself to choke fastball. I felt like to your point, he was choking it. And just it just didn't have it, and that was what it what it was for me. Um, and, and that's really it. I think it'll be a learning experience for him. And I think I think if he gets another shot to pitch this postseason, I think he'll be better. I really do. But yeah. it was it was tough to watch because it was a 98, but just not where we've seen him commanding it over the last handful of starts, where you know he was spotting fastballs for a strike around seventy percent of the time down the stretch.
2: Yeah, his teammate looked really strong out of the bullpen in game one on the heels of Braddish. And that was DL Hall Inning in two thirds, no hits. Uh, He walked one, he punched out three halls, a reliever moving forward. And I think that Hall can become one of the better left-handed relievers in baseball. As soon as he commits to this. And I think what that inning in two thirds told us is that DL Hall is ready to be a top flight reliever. It's like the Matt Brash Ascension. As, as soon as you take him out of the rotation, like, he's set to rock, and this guy looked
1: unhittable against Texas in game one. He was awesome. Just totally awesome. It, it's been wild to watch his mechanical improvements, too. He was a very upright yeah. guy, and, and I want to preface with, since being called up to the big leagues, 7% walk rate. That is not something we're used to seeing from, from D.L. Hall at all. Okay, so real quick, though,
2: you hear that and you say, oh, he might be ready to start games. No, he's comfortable as a reliever now. This is not like a he might be ready to start games thing. No, that ship has sailed.
1: Yeah, I think both from an injury standpoint and from, a you know, just just a delivery standpoint, like he's his this. And to your point, this delivery is higher effort. You know, people were talking about uh, and not higher effort in terms of like pressure on his arm. I mean, like really engaging the lower half He used to be a very Mm -hmm. vertical guy. Now, if you watch him, he sinks and he really drives off of that back leg. And I mean, that's what we saw Chapman do this year to try to get that velocity back. It's not as dramatic as that, but DL Hall was always a very upright pitcher. And I thought that was kind of part of the issue. Now you see him sinking low and really pushing off of that back leg and driving. That's a high, like that takes energy that really takes a strong lower half. He's always been a very strong and athletic pitcher, but I think that's what's allowed him to kind of stay close to his body. He's more compact. Everything is not you know kind of out and away from him, and he's p- filling up the strike zone. And to your point, that that postseason start was do- or sorry, that postseason appearance was dominant. Ending two thirds, one walk, three Ks, no hits, and th- that was after he closed out the season punching out the side. I mean, this guy has not given up a run in his last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven was an unearned eight. Less eight outings at the big league level, zero earned runs. This guy's going to be a big part of their postseason if they make any kind of turnaround, and he's going to be a big part of their bullpen next year.
2: I think so. Yeah, especially with Bautista out. Cano, I think, immediately slots into that closer role. They need a setup guy. They need an eighth inning guy. And I think D.L. Hall can be one of the better eighth inning guys in baseball next year. Um, Two National League starters before we wrap with an NL reliever. Two guys in the same series. Brandon Fott has not thrown against the Dodgers just yet. He will likely throw game three. Uh, it was a tightrope act against Milwaukee in the wildcard series. Emmett Sheehan was the first out of the pen when Clayton Kershaw got blasted in game one on Saturday by the Diamondbacks. Let's start with Fott. It was such a hard regular season to watch. And I think a lot of people went in with minimal confidence in Brandon Fott in this wildcard game. And he managed to maneuver around seven hits and what, two and a third for Fott, two and yeah. two thirds, seven hits, three earned. Like it was not a good start. Arizona's offense just picked him up and they got a win in game one of that wildcard series. Where do you see Brandon Fott slotting into the D-backs plants next year? I assume they go and get a free agent starting pitcher. They need starting pitching depth. They're going to do it. Is
1: Fott a guy that you can rely on as a four or a five, or does he start the year as a Reno ace? I think you got to start him in the big leagues and 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 try to rely on him at the back of that rotation. It's just the difference is if he's your four or your five, you can pallet the ups and downs a bit more. This is another situation we talk about on the JB show with like Framber Valdez as an established big leaguer, just struggling with something in his delivery. The stuff isn't kind of playing the way that it has in the past. And it's really hard to change that midseason. I think they tried to help fought with that when when he got a little you know taste and slowed things down and then came back up. But I just don't think he really had an opportunity to fully delve into things and figure out exactly what has changed, because it's interesting He's still getting a fair amount of whiff. He, he's still throwing strikes in, in a lot of a lot of the starts that I've seen. I'm interested to do a deeper dive. I'm still a believer in him. I still think he can be really solid, but he's just got to he's got to tweak some things. I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into what exactly went wrong. Uh, but I thought we saw some yeah. flashes at the end of the season, including a really good outing uh, against the White Sox to close it out. I know that's not saying a ton, but then even like a bad outing where he gives up a couple big home runs against the Yankees. He punched out eight. Like we're starting to see him get more whiffs. So I think it's starting to come together a little bit. It just sucks that he, then as it's starting to come together, he gets thrusted into the postseason. I do think he's going to be better next year. I think they're going to go back to the drawing board and, and tweak some things with his arsenal because there's a few different ways he can attack hitters. And I don't know if he totally can figure out what the most effective way is just yet.
2: What do you think Sheehan needs to be tweaking? Cause Emmett Sheehan came out and he was running into a buzzsaw of it. But- Sheehan, after Kershaw got hung for six runs, went three and two thirds, four hits, three earned, struck out four, he walked two and hit a batter. Sheehan also allowed a homer. 60% fastball. He's got that slider and the changeup slider, I guess, sometimes turns into a sweeper per savant. But for me, watching that guy and seeing the fastball reliance is a little worrisome second time you see a guy and like. I don't know. I We've seen the blow up starts from Joe Ryan. It's just Joe Ryan looked unhittable at points and Sheehan has not looked unhittable since his big league
1: debut. You answered your own question there. Okay. It's it's fastball reliance. I think you're spot on and it's a phenomenal heater. Uh, it's a low release point. It takes, but off. if you throw it, if you throw it the whole time, it becomes less phenomenal. Yes. These are big league hitters. It's and unless you're bryce miller or brian Wu, and you can go in out up down you know, and spot when those guys are on they rely on it but they spot she a little bit of a sprayer and that's okay when you have that that kind of life but if you're a sprayer you need the change up you need the cutter you need the sweeper you need those all to locate change up strike rate of 59 percent, it's just not going to play especially when that's his best pitch the cutter I I think it's two different pitches. I think he manipulates it. I'm not, because we see cutters as hard as 87, 88. And then we see sliders like sweepers in the low eighties, but the cutter specifically, like that's a pitch that needs to be spotted for a strike as much as a four seam fastball, or at least close to it. He's around 60%. If that, if that was the sweeper tolerable cutter, not as much, especially because he throws that more than the sweeper. Uh, And then again, the fastball, he throws a first strike about an average amount but he's not hitting the spots as much and too many non-competitive pitches. So for me, that's all it is. I think he'll get there. The stuff is too good. I mean, it's a big pitcher's body. He doesn't even need great command. It just needs to be average. But I think you hit the nail on the head. When you know there's a 60% chance of fastballs coming and you know that there's a good chance he's not going to locate the other stuff that well, I'm going to sit fastball and I'm going to sit fastball in a specific location. And that's kind of what guys have been doing against him
2: we're running into a weird scenario in 2024 with the Dodgers rotation. I'm trying to like put Sheehan in somewhere, somewhere in the jigsaw puzzle for the Dodgers in 24. And I'm thinking, okay, Urias is good as gone. Kershaw probably gone. I would put the odds more in favor of him not being a Dodger than him being a Dodger next year. Um, and then you've got Gonsolin on the shelf the whole year with Tommy John. So Bueller going to start opening day. I assume after that, Bobby Miller.
1: Yep. And then stone Pepe O'Shea. Yeah. And I would say Pepe O's earned it. I mean, he's been spectacular. Pepe O's totally earned it. Um, So Pepe O's probably my favorite of that trio, which is crazy to say. And it shows you the fluidity of this whole thing sometimes with prospects, especially p- pitchers. And then Sheehan and Stone. Yeah. I mean, those, those guys are going to have to step up and perform. I assume they signed somebody, but they're still going to need two of those guys to step up. Yeah. Uh, without a doubt. And
2: throw Grove in that conversation too. I guess Michael Grove can be in there, but like Grove has done pretty well in like a hybrid relief role too. So I I don't know. They have a ton of questions <laughs> that I need to answer going into next year in the rotation. Last guy is Orion Kirkering with the Phillies. <laughs> and Kirkering has thrown two innings so far in the postseason, no hits, a walk, and a strikeout. Um, he, got through, he got through an inning against the best offense in baseball in seven pitches and he looked so ridiculously comfortable he's obviously a massive part of the phillies moving forward is he the closer next year for the philadelphia phillies i assume not because you have alvarado and dominguez but man like he's he could absolutely put together a year with a sub two ERA because that's what he did in the minor leagues. And that shit's shit, going to play against Acuna as much as it did the random seven hitter for the Lakeland
1: flying tigers. Yep. I'll say he's probably not the closer, but he will pick up a handful of saves and that, because you're, you're, you're trusting that guy in the ninth. You put him on my radar. <laughs> and once I watched some of the video, it was, it was comical. And that was when he was a clear water thresher. And it's funny because like
2: I I said, like, hey, check out Orion Kirkring stats. And you were like, that's a fake name. And Mm -hmm. then you looked and said, oh, my God, this is hilarious how disgusting the stuff is. And now here we
1: are five months later talking about him in the postseason sporting two hitless innings. So he has thrown 55 percent. This includes the postseason all the way to Clearwater in 54 appearances this year. He has thrown a slider, an 80 grade slider, 55 percent of the time. What do you think opponents are hitting against that slider in Uh, 109 at bats? About a buck 20, buck 30. Oh, that was impressive. 119. Yes. That was good. (laughs) That was good. But OPS of 358, dude. Oh, so he's spotting it. That's what that says 67% strike rate on a slider that's that diabolical. It's one thing to have a 60 something percent strike, 67 like percent strike rate on a slider to have it on a slider that absolutely falls off the table is ridiculous. And then, oh, by the way, he throws he sits 98. Yeah. Like, did you see his dad crying like every pitch Yeah. in his big league debut? That was that was awesome. Like it's just his dad just like couldn't handle his emotion just the entire time. there's <laughs> every strikeout. He's just sitting there crying, just so happy for his son. Uh, that was pretty cool. It was beautiful.
2: And it, like the thing that fascinated me most about his appearance against the Braves, because he was crying the entire time during his major league debut, but against the Braves, they kept on showing his dad and he was just like all business. He was standing, he was sitting there, like, I think arms crossed, just looking and he was watching his son dominate. It was with seven pitches. And I think one was that 98 mile an hour fastball. I think in the wild card game, it was like an 11 pitch inning and 10 were the slider I mean, he's not going to 99 because the other pitch is better. It's very Andres Munoz. Yeah, Munoz has 102-103, but that slider is the best pitch that Munoz has. That's why he goes to it. Prime Chapman had 104-105, and yes, it, it ran like crazy. Yeah, the fastball is his best pitch because it's 104 miles an hour. But statistically speaking – he had some other pitches that were better. Like his slider at points was better than his fastball. And that's what we're looking at with Kirkering. And that's a rare, rare human being that we've got in this game where 100 is not your best pitch. No. And that's some special shit, man.
1: That's scary. Uh, there's been one player across any level this year that has hit a home run off of Orion Kirkering's slider, and it's Stanley Consuegra from the Mets. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> Yeah, which is amazing. That's all I need to know. That's the final boss. You're 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 gonna be a good big leaguer, Stanley. Was he a Brooklyn cyclone or was he a uh, St. Lucie Met? I would imagine that that was with Brooklyn. Yeah, that was definitely with Brooklyn. That, it was on June 30th. Yeah.
2: Oh, did he hit the uh did he hit the what, Ferris wheel out in the center? Have you been to Coney Island?
1: That I have. Park looks it's, awesome. It's one of my favorite minor league parks I've been to. It's a blast. I'm actually, oh my gosh. He actually did not miss the the uh the roller coaster by much. It was one ten. Oh. Um, I'm watching it right now. Oh, wow. 110 four sixteen. That is a really cool place to go catch a night game. Graveyard, by the way, though, because the ball does not fly, wind blowing in off the water. But if you're ever in the New York area, take the little 40 minute train, go check out Coney Island, uh, go check out a Brooklyn Cyclones game. They do a great job over there. Uh, it's it's definitely a lot of fun. Or you could watch NYU play baseball. It's a little a little Division three ball. Um, that's all I yeah. got, though. You got anything else? No that was the uh, that was the recruiting pitch on the D three
2: recruiting trail. It was hey, you get to play at the home of the Brooklyn uh, yes. Cyclones. Oh, no, or I guess I, the Brooklyn Mets.
1: Yeah, dude, I'll never forget that. I think I've told you the story. Like, I get, I'm talking, I'm on the phone too, on my way home from my senior year of high school, like from practice, and it's like, oh, let me call you back. I'm, we got to hop on the subway to practice, and I was like, yeah, ah, like, oh, doesn't sound I'm good out. to me yeah see yes,
2: my thing was my thing was I'm in and they were just like uh yeah it's gonna be way too much money I was yeah like,
1: Ooh, okay yeah there's no there's no scholarship for Division three baseball unfortunately um but that's it we'll be doing first team milB on Wednesday including some of the honorable mentions uh I might squeeze in a, a solo episode or if Jack will join me on Tuesday to just kind of talk a little bit more about the AFL. Last episode was fun. Just kind of highlighted a handful of starts that stood out to me at the AFL reminder that we'll be out there in a couple of weeks. Reminder that if you can take a second to leave a rating, help us grow the show, that would be awesome. And we will probably have a top 100 update by the end of this week. Most of those episodes will probably be next week, but just stay tuned. Check out the just baseball Twitter, my personal Twitter uh, to, to be, up to date on when we are updating that top 100 list some fun names that are going to be joining the list some names graduating uh, excited for the final you know edition here of the 2023 side of things and then we will start shifting our focus to the 2024 class and moving on from there as always thank you for listening look forward to talking prospects with you later this week